welcome to Backlog Books. In this podcast, I will be recapping and discussing what I've been reading lately. My name is Kara. Thank you for joining me, and please be prepared for some spoilers. This is the world we live in. Welcome back to myself, also to the podcast after taking a lovely month off. It's been really good, and like, I feel like I got the break that I actually wanted in September, so that's nice. It has also been extremely busy this month, and my next, like, three months look equally busy. It's fine. I'm having a really good time, actually. I hope you are also having a good beginning of 2023, and that you're ready to listen to me talk for a really long time about these books, because this episode ended up way longer than I thought it was going to be. It's fine. We're going to get started. This time, I'm talking about two books, Shards of Honor and Barayar by Lois McMaster Bujold. Here is the summary for Shards of Honor. It's not my favorite summary, but it was the easiest to find. So we're just going to go with that. When Cordelia Naismith and her survey crew are attacked by a renegade group from Barayar, she is taken prisoner by Errol Vorkosigan, commander of the Barayaran ship that has been taken over by an ambitious and ruthless crew member. Errol and Cordelia survive countless mishaps while their mutual admiration and even stronger feelings emerge. Shards of Honor was published in 1986, and Barayar was published in 1991. They are often bundled and sold as an omnibus, which is part of the reason I wanted to talk about both of them at the same time. They also tell like a pretty contained story of Cordelia, so they work well as a pair. Our author, Lois McMaster Bujold, was born in America in 1949. She came to writing later in life. She has won numerous Hugo, Nebula, and Locus awards for her books. Her primary works are the Vorkosigan Saga, The World of the Five Gods, and the Sharing Knife series. In case you haven't heard of it, the Vorkosigan Saga is a science fiction book series comprising 16 novels as well as six novellas, and For those keeping track at home, yes, I did decide to start another long series before finishing Wheel of Time. It's fine. I have this completely under control. (laughs) Honestly, if we're going by page count, probably the Vorkosigan saga has half as many pages as the Wheel of Time, even including novellas. I don't know for sure. All of this information about the Vorkosigan saga is available online, but I would have had to do math to figure it out. Whereas I can just Google how many pages are in the Wheel of Time series and Google will tell me. So it's a mystery, but I feel pretty confident saying that the Wheel of Time has more pages than the Vorkosigan saga. I'm getting sidetracked. The saga is ongoing. The first book, as I said, was published in 1986, and it looks like the most recent novella came out in 2018. Okay, I shouldn't say ongoing. That may be a little misleading. There is no news that I can find of any upcoming books, 
but I also haven't found any news uh, that it's over and Bujold is done writing it. So who knows? It's Schrodinger's book series. <laughs> Just like Game of Thrones and the King Killer Chronicles. <laughs> now, I like to try to include some content warnings for books that I talk about. As always, I recommend looking up a more thorough list if you're worried about it, because I know I never managed to cover everything. But I especially want to put emphasis on that in this case, because just to start with, the content warnings are war and war-associated crimes, rape, torture, eugenics, memory alteration, and we'll round it out with non-consensual drug dosing. So be kind to yourself when you read these. That's all I'm saying. As I mentioned earlier, I will be talking about two books in this episode, Shards of Honor and Barayar, and these books are basically the backstory to the birth of the main character of the rest of the series. They follow Cordelia Naismith, a planetary survey mission commander from Beta Colony, who is accidentally caught up in political upheaval on the planet Barayar. From what I have read about the rest of the series, it's not necessary to start with Cordelia's books. I think most of the rest of the series is about her son, Miles, so you can just start with The Warrior's Apprentice if you want. I'm not your book boss. I started here because I already had Barayar, and then I figured out that Shards of Honor came before it. So, now let's do some setup. Our setting, get it? Setup, setting. It's science fiction. It's sometimes called a space opera. In a world where humans have colonized many planets. You get the idea. I'm going to talk about two planets really quickly because that's where our protagonists come from and they offer a useful shorthand to understanding the world and the story we're telling. First, there is Beta Colony, which has a fairly egalitarian society and lots of technology and social programs that they use to improve everyone's lives. That's where Cordelia comes from. And then there's Barayar which has only recently emerged from their time of isolation and have, since being reintroduced to the wider universe, mostly started wars with other planets? They are a society built on military prowess and conduct. Due to their isolation, they're a bit backward compared to the rest of the world's, not only in terms of social programs like providing basic food and housing for everyone, but also the thing that gets brought up over and over, especially in these two books, is that their medical technology is not good because they've spent so much time and energy focused on discovering new ways to kill people. That's where our secondary protagonist, Errol Vorkosigan, is from. Can you see where this is going yet? Shards of Honor begins with Captain Cordelia Naismith out on a survey mission. While she's out doing preliminary sweeps, her unarmed, peaceful crew is attacked by a Barayaran squad for no apparent reason. Her crew gets away, but Cordelia is captured by one Errol Vorkos again. 
he was the Barayarin's commander. However, one of his men betrayed him and left him for dead on the planet's surface, which is like just another day as a commander of Barayarin forces. Yikes. Cordelia and Vorkosigan must work together to make it to a supply depot so he can call for help from someone on his crew that he can trust. And of course, along the way, they start getting along and enjoying each other's company. They're both lonely and heartbroken in their own ways, and they discover that they work together well, dealing with unexpected challenges and dangers together. And there's you know, traveling, bonding, character building. Genuinely excellent stuff. Eventually, Vorkosigan has returned to his ship and regained control of most of his crew. There are a few holdouts. So he and Cordelia are back on his ship, and she's technically a prisoner at this stage. He's like, hey, random question, but once we're back on my planet and you're free to do whatever you want, do you want to get married? <laughs> Bless his heart. It's really not that random. It doesn't come out of the blue. Bujold builds it up well, unlike some people. And yes, I am looking directly at Robert Jordan, who thinks it was foretold is a good reason for people to be romantically involved. Cordelia's response is, yes, but your whole planet sucks, and you'd be considered a war criminal on my planet, and I'm not supposed to know this, but your planet is about to invade one of our allies in an unprovoked attack, so maybe let's table the marriage question for later. <laughs> what? What a star. I really love Cordelia. While she's figuring out her whole star-crossed lovers thing with Vorkosigan, Cordelia's survey crew returns to help her escape. Against her direct orders, but they're here now, so she might as well go with them. The traitors in Vorkosigan's crew are attempting a mutiny at the same time, providing cover for Cordelia's rescue. But as she escapes from Vorkosigan's ship... She detours and takes like 10 minutes to root out the remaining traitors on his crew and leaving them behind for Vorkosigan to capture. Hilarious. She's like a cat, bringing Vorkosigan his enemies as a gift because he's too stuck in like traditional Barayaran ways of thinking to see that the easiest way to solve some of his problems is just to throw Cordelia at them. So, alas, they go their separate ways, and it is some time before they meet again. Barayar starts its attack on Beta Colony's ally. Cordelia runs a decoy freighter to deliver weapons to her planet's allies. Her mission is successful, but she is captured. She is about to be tortured by a sadist in Barayar in high command when one of Vorkosigan's men recognizes her and saves her life. The soldier takes her to Vorkosigan, who is here, he's part of, like, the higher command structure, and hides her on the command ship. There's little chance of escape or rescue, and there's not much else to do, so she just kind of hangs out and stays hidden. It's stressful, 
to just be stuck and not able to do anything, but she's also very happy to see Vorkos again again. And then the Barayarins are driven back. They suffer a massive loss, losing several high-ranking officers and the Barayaran Emperor's heir. Which, that's bad for you if you're an empire and the next person in line for the throne is a child. Vorkosigan, suddenly and unexpectedly in command of the Barayaran forces, orders a retreat. They're done with this war. He offers again to take Cordelia with him to Barayar, but after what she witnessed and discovered about the Barayarans, she is reluctant to follow him. She is able to see a lot of the good aspects of his culture and his people, but she's also very aware that the rest of the planet is not like him. Once she's back home on Beta Colony, however, she finds herself lauded as a hero for something she didn't do, and then very quickly she comes under suspicion of being a brainwashed, unknowing double agent programmed by Barayar to spy on the Beta Colony. Why else would she have anything positive to say about Barayar and Vorkos again? Must be brainwashing. So there are, as I mentioned, a lot of difficult topics covered and handled well in these books. The part I'm talking about here, where Cordelia is home and a psychologist is drugging her against her will and determined to uncover brainwashing that isn't there and no one believes her, was probably the most difficult for me to read. I mean, there was a lot. There was a lot. That was difficult to read. And it's like part of why I don't like the white cloaks in Wheel of Time. There's no right answer to give. They've already decided what you're guilty of. And that's really scary when that person has power over you to kill you or drug you into submission or any other, any number of other horrible possibilities. So this time... Cordelia must escape from her own home. She flees to Barayar and Vorkos again. She doesn't like most aspects of Barayar in life. She thinks they're backward and they're thinking in their society. But of her options, she would rather have a difficult life with Vorkos again than continue on without him. Life on Barayar. It may suck, but it's better than being brainwashed by your own planet into believing you're a secret spy. So, that was Shards of Honor. Now, in Barayar, our second book, we've had a little time skip. Cordelia is settling into life on Barayar the planet, learning the new rules of her new society. She and Vorkosigan got married, and she's pregnant and very excited to be a mother. She spends a lot of time comparing her experience being pregnant on Barayar with what her experience would have been like on Beta Colony. One of the things Beta Colony and a lot of the rest of the planets uh, have is artificial wombs. So you can have a baby 
in an artificial womb and it's a lot safer, especially if, for instance, you're a survey captain and constantly traveling through space to strange planets, then you don't have to worry about something happening to your baby because it's in a womb in a hospital, watched over by doctors 24-7. But like I said earlier, Barriar has spent recent history focusing on making weapons. So their medical equipment, and especially their maternal care, is not up to galaxy standards. Cordelia and Vorkosian sort of had this idea that they could live their lives out in relative obscurity. Ha! Don't you realize you're the main character in a novel? So Vorkosian was sort of in disgrace with the Emperor after the War in Shards of Honor, which left the Emperor's son and heir dead. But instead of a nice quiet life in the country, the Emperor appoints Vorkosgin as regent for the new heir, the Emperor's grandson, who is like five years old. And extra fun for everyone involved, the book basically begins with the Emperor dying. So... Cordelia is thrown into the deep end of Barayar in politics. Though officially she has very little role, dangers and pitfalls abound merely due to her proximity to the regent. Now, not only has the emperor died, but Barayar is also in the midst of social upheaval. They're reconnecting with the rest of the universe. The old aristocracy is fighting against any change that would lessen their influence. And one of those old aristocrats is Varkosigan's own father, Piotr. As Barriar flounders forward, Varkosigan and Cordelia have to deal with the threat of outside invasion, personal betrayal, and, of course, assassination attempts. One such attempt nearly kills Cordelia and does fatally injure her unborn child. But she is not one to let things go without a fight. On Cordelia's insistence, they transfer the fetus to an artificial womb, which they only have access to by sheer narrative causality. She finds a doctor willing to do experimental treatments to attempt to save her child's life. She is very realistic about it. She knows the chances of her child surviving are very slim, and she knows that if he does survive, he will have many, many health problems as a result for the rest of his life. For Cordelia, all life is worth fighting for, and we see her do this over and over. Vorkosigan's father tries to convince her to destroy the fetus entirely, because he thinks her child will be deformed and therefore ruin the Vorkosigan family name and legacy. And he is really awful about it, going so far as to try to bribe the doctors into destroying the artificial womb. He sucks. He obviously doesn't succeed. And of course, there can't just be assassination attempts and social upheaval. We also have to throw in an attempt to overthrow the government. One of the old aristocracy attempts to capture the young emperor and kill the regent. He fails. The young emperor escapes, but the aristocrat declares himself emperor, claiming the boy was killed by Vorkosigan. And once again, Cordelia is stuck, unable to do anything. She's not a soldier. 
She's not in command of anything. She's trapped outside the capital and can do very little. She just paces and waits and worries. Her baby is incubating in an artificial womb in a lab in the capital, which was recently taken over. And then news arrives that her child, still in the incubator, barely surviving thanks to experimental treatments, has been taken hostage. The incubator will only have power for six more days. And Cordelia knows it's a trap. And it's a trap specifically for her. They don't value her child's life. They don't see him as anything more than a bargaining chip. Obviously, she goes anyway. She goes against all tactical considerations and Vorkosigan's express wish that she not risk her life. Now, thanks to the power of publishing, we do know that Cordelia's child survives and is the protagonist of the rest of the series. That doesn't take away from this journey. In the end, it is a harrowing mission and there are so many obstacles in her way, not least of which is the time limit imposed by the incubator's remaining power supply. But Cordelia rescues the incubator in time, and because she is an excellent achiever of goals, she helps bring down the false emperor while she's at it. Just a little detour. Knock out that side quest. No biggie. Like I said earlier, Vorkosigan just needs to aim Cordelia at a problem. And there is so much more scheming and things going on. Bujold ain't messing around with this one. It's tough to read, but it is also very good. There are books which handle these same topics, but which lack a certain something. Like, when I read the first Game of Thrones book like 10 years ago, I don't think I ever had any hope for any of the characters. It seemed like it was just going to be awful for them the whole time. And maybe that was me like projecting the TV show onto the books. I really don't remember. It has been a very long time since I read them. But I think these books work due to the strength of Cordelia as a character. You need her there to offer a more optimistic perspective, to have her stubborn determination not to give up, to have her as a reminder that every world is not as war-torn and war-crazy as Barayar. She also just has a big heart. She knows that people are reflections of their environments, and Barayar is kind of an awful environment. No one is taught that peace is an option, so they don't know to look for it. Luckily for Cordelia, and possibly for Barayar and society as a whole, she is in a position to start influencing the planet, to start changing her new home. Without her, I think these books would be too depressing for me to read. And I'm hoping that her son manages to bring the same kind of light to the page. Because, as I said earlier, most of the rest of the series follows Cordelia and Vorkosigan's son, Miles. 
he'll grow up with brittle bones in a society obsessed with military rank and martial prowess. Cordelia and Vorkosigan have a difficult task ahead, one I suspect Miles will have to finish for them. They have to turn Barriar into a place where their disabled son can thrive, and it's no longer a world built to cater to the blood-obsessed aristocracy. And Bujold's strength is that she leads me to believe that there is hope for Barriar. It may take a long time to get there, but Cordelia, as we have seen over and over and over, isn't the type to give up, and I bet her son isn't either. And it feels kind of funny to end this episode on such a positive note about a couple of books that covered some really horrible stuff. There were so many war crimes. Um, and I kind of have to wonder if I will look back on this episode and laugh at myself for how earnest and hopeful I was about the rest of the series. I assume it gets worse before it gets better, but who knows? Only time will tell. But either way, I really enjoyed these books. I like the style and voice, and I am looking forward to picking up the rest, hopefully soon. But reading schedules are for people who uh, can do that, and I'm not one of those people. If you want more media like this, I have to recommend the Machineries of Empire series by Yoon Ha Lee. The first book is Nine Fox Gambit, which I talked about in episode 19 of this podcast. Join me next time to hear about The Quick by Lauren Owen. As always, you can email me at backlogbookspod at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to support it, the best way to do that right now is to rate and review it, or just share it with a friend, or send me an email and tell me what you thought about it. You can find the pod on Facebook at Backlog Books Podcast or at backlogbooks.com. The music is by Joseph McDade. You can hear more of his work at josephmcdade.com. Thank you for spending this time with me. I will talk with you again soon.